2: Relentless
1: refusing to give up. All right, hit that horn, babe. Let's dance.
0: Welcome to the all-new Fantasy Flex podcast from the Action Network. I am your host, Chris Raybon, joined as always by Sean Kerner. We're glad you found us here on our new podcast home as a reminder. Between me, Sean, brand new action fantasy expert, Samantha Praviti, will be delivering multiple episodes every single week this NFL season. And today, we have a very, very, very special guest, a guy that I always love talking to, a guy that you guys really uh, enjoyed. I think it was our highest, most listened to episode last year. So running it back with Jake Seely, senior
2: writer from The Athletic, Jake. Thanks for joining us, man. Oh, of course. You're too kind. And I I like hearing that, the most listened to podcast. That makes me feel good. It makes me feel uh, a little self-important over here. Not that I needed more of that, as everybody already knows. Yeah, your your metrics check out, Jake. (laughs) (laughs) They do. They do. You you ran the analysis and you checked out. Did you check my 40 time on top of it? That might be disappointing.
0: I have confidence you're just a ball player. Like, you know, (laughs) regardless of the
2: the measurables, you just know how to play football. (laughs) <laughs> I appreciate that. My shuttle is good. I'm a 40-time, not so much. The uh, bench was okay, but yeah.
0: <laughs> Jake, thank you so much again for joining us. Sean, uh, what's going on with you? How, how are your metrics this uh, fine afternoon?
1: I'm doing well. Uh, excited to talk. Uh, you know, running back two-tier with Jake. This is probably the third season we've had him on to talk about David Montgomery. That's why I'm repping the Bears hat today. I feel like this is a <laughs> David Montgomery episode every year, so can't wait. And So what's the deal with your uh, throwback jersey? What do you got today? Love so it. I got
0: the Peyton Manning Tennessee. I uh, I don't have too many college jerseys, so thought I would break this one out. I, I want They don't make a ton of them that you can really find. So I'm really excited to get this one and, and break it out for the pod. I'm excited about this pod because this is essentially like the frozen pond tier episode that, you know, Sean coined the term a, a few years ago. But essentially, like a lot of these running back twos, They're guys that maybe had a a strong finish to last year or, you know, something just not always going to be uh, comfortable with a lot of these guys. And so um, really important here to talk about. So I I do want to jump right in. But before we do that, Jake, I got to start by asking you more generally, what is your running back strategy for for 2021?
2: Yeah, so my running back strategy really hasn't changed ever. Uh, I know every single year there's a talk about all the different terms and all the strategies to go forth with everything, but it's always been I've been running back heavy. Uh, Whether you want to call it get one bell cow or bell cow running back or elite running back or whatever you want to call it, I want to come out of the first two rounds with at least one one running back I can trust. Bell cow in fantasy terms. Somebody that I know is going to give me a double-digit floor with the potential to hit 20-plus every single week. And if I can come out of the first three rounds, I love that more often than not. Now, I'm not going to say that I won't ever not come away with a running back in the first round. You know, if the first nine picks are running backs and I'm sitting there at the turn with like a Kelsey Adams option on my table, like it's going to be hard to pass on that. So I'm not so beholden to my strategy that I'll never veer from it. If the value is there, but just more often than not, my success over my years has always come from getting those running backs early. Uh, even the one year, if you guys want to remember but go back, the one year I took C.J. Anderson in the first round <laughs> and Justin Forsett in the second when he got hurt, I still won that league. Uh, that was an industry league, too, because uh, just being able to build that team. But especially today with the running back depth uh, is so being so thin and on the flip side, we keep saying it every single year about wide receivers that it's getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. I don't know what the cutoff is going to be when we finally stop saying that, but it's just so much easier to find that I want to get at least one elite running back, especially as you guys know, if you just look at last year when everybody's chasing the Samaj P. Ryan's and self and Ahmed's of the world. Uh, I just don't want to be doing that in week 14 with my playoffs on the line.
0: And, and Jake, that's a, that's a very interesting point because you mentioned that you kind of, you're okay with going like, perhaps even three running backs in the first three rounds. What, Mm. At what point, I guess, do you think the sweet spot start hitting for the other positions if you're going running back heavy early? Like, are you kind of hammering wide receiver in that four through eight range? Uh, When are you taking a tight end? Uh, When are you taking a quarterback?
2: Yeah, the funny thing is this year in a lot of drafts, I've been coming out with a third running back before the end of the sixth round often. So I've actually had three running backs because there's a lot of guys we're going to be talking about on this show that start falling into that range. And you say, you know what? And that flex spot with the upside that they bring, uh, I think it's warranted to go after that because when you talk about hitting those wide receivers, ooh, there's been, a lot, I, I know you guys have seen this on Twitter. There's been a lot of people talking about now they're calling it the RB dead zone. Uh, somebody wrote an article about that, that fourth, fifth round where a lot of the running backs don't hit. Uh, some of the guys we're going to be talking about on this show. And so I'm hitting wide receiver in that range because on top of that, we're talking about fringe wide receiver ones are still sitting there. Uh, And I thought obviously they're not the top ten options, but you're talking about that ten through twenty who all have the upside to finish inside the top ten because it just takes, you know, a slightly better season, a slightly better breakout quarterback play, whatever it might be. Tight end is always going to be interesting for me. I will never I brought up Kelsey earlier is I'll never Be the Kelsey guy. Uh, I've taken him at the end of the first round. I'll never be like, go for it because I know the advantage he gives you at tight end. But if he just has a 2019 season, which was still amazing uh, when you're only 0.1 ahead of Kittle and maybe it's 0.1 ahead of Waller and Kittle or maybe even Pitts this year, what you sacrificed at running back or wide receiver to make that move you've now kind of double downed on your lost value. Again, it can obviously work. He's got a terrific floor. Uh, I'm just more of the guy that I kind of hit in that fifth, sixth round. Um, And if I miss, and I say fifth, sixth round, that's if, uh, if a Pitts falls to there, if a Hawkinson is there, if a Mark Andrews is there, and if I miss on those guys, I'm just going to wait. And I mean, wait, 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 wait. I never want to get into that next group because year after year, that next group just continues to bomb. It's that basically tight end seven through 11 or 12, they just bomb every single year. And we're finding the Logan Thomas's, the Tanyans of the world. And this year, there's a lot of great value that you can find towards the end of the draft of the tight end. So I am hammering wide receiver mostly. So after the first three rounds, there's a lot of wide receivers that par- populate my team uh, basically from rounds four through about nine.
0: Yeah, and, and I like kind of what you said about you know having that third running back at least after the you know by the end of the sixth round because it kind of you have to accept that your guys are going to get injured and maybe even your your first round running back or your RB one will get injured but if you have two strong RB twos uh, with RB one upside a lot of times that can kind of compensate. Um, you know, for that, which is probably what you're alluding to when you mentioned, you know, drafting Forsett one year and Anderson another. And, you know, like if, if you're hammering the position, as long as you're still, you know, you're not overpicking on, you know, the onesie positions, quarterback and tight end, um, you can still build a deep receiving core, but you'll have that, um, you know, you'll have those extra startable games for running backs. So that's how I like to think about fantasy is like, how many startable games uh, will this guy give me, you know, how many plus right. games will this guy give me? And running backs already miss like, you know, twice as many games is uh, other positions. So you're already going to need, uh, you know, more at that position than others. So, um, yeah, uh,
2: one of the ties in too, is uh, just to jump in real quick. So um, on the site, I did customizable projections. If everybody hates my projections, you can change them this year, but there's one there. There's a ranking set that I put it out. It's val. It's VORP. Uh, this comes from Dom on the athletic site, but it's value of relative position so you take your replacement player or a value over replacement player whichever way you want to say it um but it's basically looking at the replacement player and how much of a boost is this player so the reason i end up taking a third running back is because often in that fifth sixth round granted it off often ends up being a dead zone is at the same time when you're looking at the running backs on the board there are some guys that are the lead of a split backfield there are some guys that potentially are the second option with more upside than the guy in front of them um, and you're looking at the wide receivers on the board and you can see two rounds later, the difference between the wide receivers going in the sixth round and the eighth round is so minimal. Whereas the drop off at running back when you get to the eighth round. Now you're talking about guys who are only pass catchers like the Naheem Hines of the world or somebody that are blocked by two guys in front of them. So it's that drop off. And that's why a lot of times I will take that third running back.
0: Don, how about you? When are you taking your third running back generally in, uh, in 2021?
1: Um, so, I mean, it all depends on the draft, but I have a similar approach to Jake where, you know, I'm I'm attacking running back at all phases of the draft. So, you know, I want to workhorse early. I want, um, you know, a high upside running back in the middle rounds as my third running back. And then I'm trying to stash, you know, the high upside backup running backs. I love to hoard those. I like to have like three or four of those on my bench because, you know, you can bank on maybe one of them um, popping at a time. But I, I love just... Loading up at running back. So I'm not a believer in, you know, zero running back, although I do understand the theory behind it. Running back is a very fragile position. But because of that, you know, I I consider my strategy, the running back surplus strategy where I'm just attacking at all levels. Um, And then, you know, quarterback or tight end when they make sense, I attack those positions, whereas the wide receiver, it's such a steady decline that I kind of just let those come to me. You know, Jake already mentioned rounds four through eight. That's a very popular place for me to be attacking wide receiver. Um, so running back, I it's too important to, you know, end up with like a Mike Davis or Chase Edmonds as your number one running back. Like, that's not good. I rather have one of those guys as my RB three. I mean, they offer a ton of upside, but you can't be relying on those guys to be your lead running back going into the season. Um, so I like to just load up the running back as much as possible.
0: Yeah, the guys you draft at running back, even if you the first two guys you draft, you're going to be using a lot more than just those guys. So, uh, you know, first, because of the missed games, um, because of just, you know, guys lose their jobs at the position, you know, a lot of things happen at running back where uh, you need to keep hammering it. Uh, I agree. I, I do like to when I'm done with eight rounds heading into the ninth, I like to have a balanced team for running backs, four wide receivers, uh, because I always know that as long as I have a strong core of wide receivers, there's always going to be guys uh, in the late rounds at different spots that I really like that are high upside. So um, I, I think even getting that fourth running back before you get into the, the double digit rounds uh, is important as well. But uh, let's talk about the specific running backs. Uh, that we are targeting and avoiding and we will start with the running backs in that rb2 average draft position so the 13 to 24 range jake who are you targeting in this range
2: yeah there's a lot in this range that i really love but if i had to take one it's funny that sean just mentioned him um and he said as rb3 i'll take him as a more rb2 uh, i love Mike Davis, uh, mostly because I know a lot of people are questioning whether or not he can be the NFL version of a bell cow and the fact that 20 plus touches per game. And I understand that because some people said, oh, he wore down in some games. But there was plenty of opportunities where you saw him perform still well towards the end of the season. I think that kind of wore down, quote unquote, situation is a little overblown. Uh, but the biggest reason why is because if you look at that backfield. Who else is touching that ball? Uh, yeah, we could talk about God, you know, Kandre Olson, all the right, like. No, look, it's Mike Davis, and Mike Davis. The other thing he proved last year is not only just stepping in for Christian McCaffrey, but it's the passing game. He's good in the passing game both as a blocker and a receiver which if we expect the falcons defense to be junk there's not there's not an argument you can make for the falcons offense that doesn't involve mike davis still being there if they're doing well and running ball offensively well and everything like that then it's mike davis if they're having to pass mike davis is still going to be involved so i'm looking at him and i say 300 touches is well within his reach. If you told me 260 is a floor with 300 likely say, absolutely. Again, there's a lot of names I like in this group, but for the fact that he's the bottom of this group on top of it, like I'm a JK Dobbins guy, but you're going to tell me JK Dobbins at 25 overall RB 15 versus Mike Davis is 24 and 54 overall. I'm going to wait for Mike Davis. So I would love to get him as my RB three. And I have in a lot of places, Sean, that I just took him in a draft over this weekend. I got him as my RB three in the Fifth or sixth round, uh, but I'll even take him as my RB two if you know I you know got a wide receiver or two early in the first three or four rounds.
0: Yeah, J.K. Dobbins is a guy that I feel like he's you you never feel fully comfortable taking him. There's always like some disclaimer, but. I actually think he'll probably be fine. Um, just a talented guy on a, on a run heavy team that's inheriting the lead backfield. But uh, I do like Mike Davis. Every time I you know go to my projections, this guy is always higher than I think he's going to be. Because uh, as you mentioned, there's just not really a lot behind him uh, in that backfield. You know, even if Allison uh, becomes an RB two and gets what is he going to get like four or five carries a game? Like it's it's right. there's going to be work to be had. And Arthur Smith, pretty good, uh, pretty good offensive mind. So even though they lost Julio, uh, should still be able to do some things. Sean, who, uh, who are you targeting in this RB 13 to 24 range, starting with guys like Mixon, CEH, Dobbins, Jacobs, Montgomery, Swift, and then uh, Robinson and Davis sneak in at the end?
1: Um, so this is the third straight season where Chris Carson – is my favorite uh, (laughs) low-end RB2 target. I mean, I feel like I say this every year. Um, I'm projecting him as a high-end RB2 this season. I think he'll benefit from uh, offensive coordinator Shane Waldron's up-tempo offense. I I love where this offense is going. He's guaranteed touches in both the running and passing game. Like, you don't have to worry about game script when it comes to him. Um, And, you know, his only downside really is – he tends to miss a game or two every year because of his violent running style. But when he was healthy last year, he averaged um, 15.7 points per game, which ranked 11th among running backs um, who played 10 or more games. Like he's going to give you production when he's on the field. He's one of the most reliable guys you can draft. And he typically goes at the end of this running back two tier. So once again, I'll be loading up on Chris Carson. Um, And then again, I just have to throw it out there. Cream hunt, um, you know, Obviously, he's limited due to Nick Chubb's presence, but you know, even if Nick Chubb were to be healthy for all 17 games, I think Kareem Hunt will return value ADP, um, but he also has that massive, massive upside in the event that Nick Chubb does miss time. I mean, he's a top five running back whenever Nick Chubb is out of the lineup, so I, I just love having that sort of high floor ceiling combo of Kareem Hunt again, as my running back three, I don't want to be drafting on him, drafting him as like, you know, my RB two and leaning on him, but as like an RB three, I mean, he just offers massive, massive upside that I, I just can't pass up.
0: Yeah. And this it's tough going after you guys. Cause those are my targets. I mean, Mike Davis <laughs> and Chris Carson, those are the two guys that really stand out to me uh, just well-rounded players. You know, Chris Carson has been a top 20 PPR back three years in a row Uh, He's a guy that while he can give you, you know, 20 plus carries, he can give you, you know, four or five catches in a game, but usually he'll be in the mid teens in carries around 13, 14. uh, And he'll get a couple catches, but in that offense with Russell Wilson um, going up and down the field, it's, it's going to be a very concentrated offense. It's going to be Metcalf. It's going to be Lockett and it's going to be Chris Carson. And, uh, with, with a quarterback like Russell Wilson, that's just a high floor situation with a high ceiling in any given week. Uh, again, three straight uh, top 20 finishes in PPR. And then, and then Mike Davis, it's just it's just a math game. I mean, the Falcons got rid of essentially their trio. Of, they had a trio of backs last year that, that weren't cutting it. You had Todd Gurley, you had Ito Smith, and you had uh, Brian Hill. All three of those guys are gone. Mike Davis was the guy they signed in the, in his place, you know, obviously new coaching regime. So he's going to get a crack at it. And uh, I think he's a guy that he will give you value in the early part of the season. Hopefully you can stay healthy. He's never had a huge carry workload in his career. If you look at his, at his game logs, so that could be a positive and a negative. Um, and the other guy I'll mention is a guy that I think people are down on because of reports and, and that's Deandre Swift. And I would Monitor those reports very closely because remember, like Dan Campbell's coming to Detroit. This team doesn't have many wide receivers. Jared Goff doesn't like to throw the ball down the field. Uh, And you have experience with people on on this coaching staff now that, you know, saw Alvin Kamara and and what he did in New Orleans. So Swift and Austin Eckler as well, you know, Anthony Wynn, you got that connection. So Swift could be a ppr monster you just got to make sure he's healthy but i would monitor those reports very closely because if he's not going to miss uh time in the regular season and it's just something that's kind of hampering him in camp and he keeps falling down and you can get him you know closer to 20 uh, i think that's a really great value for a guy that could put up like a kind of baby camara eclair like season uh even with jamal williams there i think you know jamal people are overthinking jamal williams um, you know, but if, if, if Swift is healthy, you know, year two for him, I, I think it'll be a big year. So uh, those are the three guys uh, that I am looking at Carson Davis and, and potentially DeAndre Swift, Jake. There's always a bunch of guys in this tier. It feels like anyway that you they're landmines almost. And you kind of got to avoid them. And frozen pond is what Sean calls it. Who are you avoiding uh, fading in this uh, in this RB two tier.
2: Yeah, there's two that kind of stand out for me. Uh, Miles Sanders, but and I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at me or whatever. I was off Miles Sanders even before the recent news about Boston Scott because this team, the Eagles, have told us nothing by their actions more than they are concerned with his passing game work from last year, which we saw. He was part of the problem. Yes, the team was a mess, but this team's actions have told us that's the part of the things you have to watch is like their offseason, what they're planning, what they're doing, who they're bringing in, signing, drafting, and stuff like that. And everything they've done has told us they're not 100% confident in Miles Sanders bouncing back. So I have hesitancy on him being inside the top 20, but the bigger one is David Montgomery uh, near the side of the top 15. i like, do not even talking about that five-game stretch at the end of the season where he had the cakewalk of cakewalks when it talks about facing defenses. It's volume. It's a numbers game. You talked about it. the reason part of the was saying about Mike Davis is the numbers and volume, and what do we want in fantasy? I don't care if it's running back, quarterback, wide receiver, or tight end. We want volume. And it's not even Tariq Cohen because Tariq Cohen's not even healthy yet. It's, you know what? Honestly, Damian Williams is a bigger threat than if Tariq Cohen was healthy because Tariq Cohen is basically one-dimensional. He's the pass-catching option, which would be a concern for David Montgomery because some of his volume would be lost. If Tariq Cohen's not ready and Damian Williams is the backup, remember everybody with Damian Williams last year before he opted out for that season? He is a pretty complete running back. And it's just the fact of David Montgomery with Damian Williams behind him, even if it's three, calling both of them, I just, that volume, I just don't see David Montgomery as good as he looked. Again, part of it was the schedule, but part of it is Dave Montgomery, too. I don't hate the guy, but you're asking somebody that's inside the top 20 who even losing 10% of his workload week in and week out is going to be tough for me to get near that. It's not just RB17. It's a top 30 pick. He's early third round, so that's really what it comes down to. I don't hate him. I just hate the cost.
0: Yeah. It seems like you're kind of taking Montgomery very close to his ceiling. Uh, You know, it just, there's not a lot of wiggle room up when you consider that, yeah, he's competing with not only, you know, some of the other backs in that range, but he's got to outscore, you know, legit like wide receiver one wide receiver two types to really uh, pay off his value. So Montgomery is definitely a guy that I'm, I'm hesitant on as well. Sean, How about you? Who are you fading in this, uh, in this tier? You see anyone uh, slipping on the frozen pond?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, normally I would have a field day with this um, tier. This is, you know, the famous frozen pond tier. Get out of here with that dead zone running back bullshit. Like this is the frozen pond tier. Right. And (laughs) for some reason, like I can't hate many of these guys, like Look at the tier, the running back two tier last year. It was guys like David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, Todd Gurley. I mean, we were all saying don't draft these guys; just fade the position at this point. But when you're talking about guys being drafted in that same range this year, uh, J.K. Dobbins, Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, David Montgomery, even. I mean, yes, we we should be concerned that they could be limited, you know, in the passing game and whatnot. But their ADP already reflects that. All these backs are really good. They're in their prime, and, you know, they have RB1 upside. I don't think they'll all hit, but, you know, they're good backs so you can get the later end of RB2. So, you know, having said that, the only back in this range I probably would fade is James Robinson. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. Um, just, you know, they drafted Travis ATN in the first round, so that's a concern. Um, there's a chance that James Robinson could dominate the early down work. But this Jaguars team is still pretty bad um, and they're not going to offer many positive game scripts. So, you know, the James Robinson role might not be that useful, even if he does. Um, you know, start the season as a lead back. But at the end of the day, like his value is only going to drop as the season goes along. I think ETN eventually will overtake this backfield, but I don't know why James Robinson is being drafted sort of at the end of this RB2 tier when he doesn't really have the floor-ceiling combo that, you know, I'd want. So he's the only guy that I'd probably say I'm actively avoiding from this tier. Other than that, all these guys at ADP, I can get behind. Yeah, and Joe Mixon is
0: actually... 13th now so he's snuck into this tier in the uh fantasy pros consensus ADP. So a lot of options here. Uh, I'm kind of with Jake on on Montgomery and Sanders. Those are the two guys that I see that that really worry me. Montgomery, it's just more so I think he's being taken closer to his ceiling. I think last year was the year to get to draft Montgomery uh, I just don't see him. I, I see him either you know, hitting value or coming in below it. Maybe he's a floor pick, but I don't know if he's going to get the same usage um, in PPR. I, there was a time last year where he was essentially the only guy playing snaps because they only had uh, Ryan Nall behind him. I don't think Cohen will be ready anytime soon. It may be even a lost year for him, but Damian Williams really does change things for, for him and, and, and worries me. And then Miles Sanders, I mean, Jake, you hit on it. The, the reports out of camp have just been alarming. I mean, he ha- he's had he been continuing to struggle in the passing game. He's been dropping passes. And they're talking about a full-blown committee, depending on where you, you you look, with him and Boston Scott. And, you know, Boston Scott kind of forgotten, kind of a forgotten man. But then you remember, okay, the Eagles are changing coaching staffs. The, you know, you got guys coming over from the the Colts who Oversaw Naeem Hines being used uh, very prolifically and, and as a pretty high snap guy, considering uh, his role and considering they had Taylor there and, and Mac before that. So I, I really worried at Montgomery. Uh, I mean, excuse me, I really worry that Miles Sanders is going to have to continue to be that uber efficient guy and break those long runs to really come close to paying off a top 20 pick in, in terms of running backs because I, I think his passing usage is going down. I don't think Hertz is a guy that's really going to check down the ball to him much. And uh, I just think they may envision a little bit different type of offense with Hurts um, and, and that benefits Scott. And let's not forget they, uh, you know, they drafted Gainwell as well. So uh, just not a, a comfortable situation for Sanders. Sean, I, I'm surprised you didn't mention uh, Miles Gaskin because I, I would have thought he would be kind of a frozen pond guy. I don't hate yeah. the, I don't hate him, but when you look historically at okay, which running backs in this tier tend to bust, the guys that really don't have much established production or draft pedigree, um, those tend to be the guys that uh, you know kind of fall short miles Gaskin as good as he was and I think he will probably hold on to the job all year but it, it may not be as as advantageous as, as we think it is, and it may not be worth a pick over a guy like Kareem Hunt and uh, Mike Davis and, and Daryl Henderson and guys like that. So um, Gaskin is a guy I don't love. I, I, fading him is strong. Fading him is more like Sanders and Montgomery, but I'm not getting too much of Gaskin either. Now let's go to the... Next tier, that's the running backs in the twenty-five to thirty-six range. Jake, I know this is uh this is kind of your bread and butter. Uh give me some guys you like in this tier.
2: Uh similar to Sean before, like I want so many of these guys. <laughs> in this range. Uh, the big three that stand out to me are Henderson and then the teammates from college rookies uh, and Williams and Carter. But I'm going to save Carter for later and I'm going to go just right back to the first one I mentioned, Henderson. Uh, Emory Hunt, who I've known for a while, I think is one of the best scouts in the business, if not the best. He, he coined a phrase and he calls it smooth brain thinking is when, you know, because the ridges are supposed to be where your thoughts and the synapses at all are all that type of stuff. So smooth brain is you're not thinking. So for this entire time we're sitting here like Daryl Henderson's an amazing talent if he could just stay healthy and then we head into this season it's hey Daryl Henderson is one of the best backups to draft and he could even have some standalone value if they unleash him this year and all that and then Akers goes down and instead of everybody just immediately going, well, Daryl Henderson time is here. Finally, Daryl Henderson. They're like, well, maybe it's Xavier Jones. Maybe it's Raymond Clay. It's like just you, the answer's in front of you. Daryl Henderson, if healthy, is a terrific talent. Is he somebody that can be a 20-plus touch-per-game guy? No, but neither is Austin Eckler. There's a lot of running backs that are in this mold where they can do very well in a 14-to-18-touch range, And I think that's Henderson's bread and butter. And if just healthy in this offense under Sean McVay, with everything we've seen what this team can do for even aging, broken down running backs, I think Daryl Henderson, if we see what we, at least what I expect in the preseason, by the time we get to the end of August, I have a feeling he's going to be inside the top 20 where he deserves to be.
0: Yeah. I love Daryl Henderson. We'll talk more about him, but, uh, uh, Jake, is that it for you, uh,
2: Just Henderson? Yeah, I, I want to save Carter for one of your questions later. Uh, <laughs> just, I, actually, I don't have Javante Williams for a later one. The, the quick version on that is when they drafted him, I said by week six or seven he should take that backfield over, similar to Miles Sanders' rookie season. Uh, Melvin Gordon's opened that door even more by waiting this long to finally show up. So Javante Williams might actually be the lead option. Be, hell, I, at this point, he might even be the lead option by week one.
0: Yeah. uh, Love Williams as well. Love all those guys. So uh, we'll get to them. But uh, Sean, who are you targeting in this RB 25 to 36 range,
1: AKA the RB three range? Well, I I mean, Jake stole my guy. It's, it's all about (laughs) Daryl Henderson here. I mean, how could you not, his ADP really is closer to, you know, RB 22, 23 range. Um, I mean, when I'm projecting him right now, I'm factoring in that they will add, a veteran running back like an Adrian Peterson or Duke Johnson. Um, and I'm still getting him RB 21. And so far the Rams have hold true to their promise. They haven't added anybody. So if he goes into the season as the lead back, I mean, he's going to be a steal at this price. So, um, you know, looking back at last year, he was the RB 17 weeks one through eight, um, even when Malcolm Brown was healthy and Cam Akers um, was in and out of the lineup. So, I mean, he already flashes upside. And, you know, this offense should be a lot better. Matthew Stafford so you know he has some more touchdown upside um, in this offense so you can't go wrong with Daryl Henderson even if they do add a veteran but he'll probably still be a low-end RB2 so that's why I think it's he's a safe bet right now Um, the other guy is probably Chase Edmonds Um, there's a little bit of risk you know James Conner could inherit the full Kenyon Drake role we saw last year which will hurt um, Edmonds upside of course but James Conner has never been able to stay healthy he's already dealing with Um, setbacks with his um, off season toe surgery. So, you know, like if he only ends up playing six or seven games this year, chase Edmonds is going to hit at this ADP at RB 27. So I'm um, you know, well, it's well worth taking a few shares of chase Edmonds here. I think he has a ton of upside he's shown in the past, you know, when he's the lead back, he can put up serious numbers, you know, pushing RB one upside and the depth chart behind James Conner is pretty much nil. Um, So I love taking a swing here at chase Edmonds. Yeah.
0: And Edmonds has been running as the number one running back in camp. That was a role that they kind of earmarked for him and they were going to give him the first crack at it. Um, So I I think Edmonds, he's a guy I was really high on before they added Connor. I've kind of tailed off a little bit. I I think the time to get Edmonds was like way early, but uh, I do think there's kind of some post-type appeal now because this is another guy that could. It's setting up to be a lead back on a pretty good offense. I mean, this Cardinals offense is pretty good. Same reason I like Daryl Henderson. I think, uh, you know, when you look at Henderson and, and look at what the Rams have, you know, they have. Uh, a better quarterback now than, you know, a quarterback that's more comfortable and that their coach is more comfortable with. Um, so you're going to get some more deep shots you could that could set the backs up for more touchdowns. Um, and I really see it hard to believe at this point that Xavier Jones, Calais, Jake Funk, any of those guys are going to steal significant snaps from Henderson. Uh, you know, he's been uh, over 15 carries uh, four times last year. The, the Rams number one running back, uh, it was right around 15 carries for the year. So um, you give him a couple catches on top of that. And uh, this guy could really be a, a strong value considering the offense that he's in. So uh, love Daryl Henderson. I, I I'm kind of with you guys. I don't even know why he's, you know, this far down in ADP. I know fantasy pros kind of aggregate. So you can't really uh, filter by date the way you can with some other sites, but uh, 25th is too low for Henderson I think he is a top 20 back and uh, Michael Carter. That's another guy that I really, really like, Um, you know, Jake, I know you're going to talk about him later, but (laughs) just a guy who uh, we talked about a little before the show, you know, started Aaron, he's been running with the, the ones all camp. He is a a guy that can play on, on rundowns and pass downs. He was in the, you know, top 10 percentile in in a lot of grading metrics by PFF in terms of receiving last, last year, uh, good, you know, one of the better runners in in his class as well. And, and really, you know, from all the reports and, and I know it's puff piece season, so I don't take these, uh, you know, I take these with a grain of salt, but I, but glowing reports, but I think the important thing is that the reports have been that he's running with the ones and there's distance between him and those other guys, you know, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, Lamichael P. Ryan. So that's what you want to hear. And I think this, because it's an unknown with Zach Wilson, uh, you got Elijah Moore in this whole new receiving core, basically uh, outside of court, uh, outside of Crowder. Um, uh, people maybe shine away a little bit, but I, I think Michael Carter could be essentially the centerpiece. Of this offense that may not be terrible. And even if, you know, the jets may just be a bad team. And so um, I think that will help him because he'll be I think he'll be out there for some for a good amount of receiving snaps as well. So really like uh, Michael Carter in that in that RB three range, Jake, who are you
2: avoiding in this tier? It's funny because you guys just talk The positive first the disagreement we finally get here is uh, I'm off on Chase Edmonds. Uh, now, granted, the original time I wrote my article about the top the guys with the ADP I hate. Uh, basically, he was up at RB 24. So he has slid back a little bit. But at RB27, I'm still looking at about three or four running backs behind him alone that I would still take because it's again, this is what the team has told us. And now this is coming from somebody um, similar. You mentioned Swift earlier. I I did an article about Swift about don't expect him to be an RB1. He can still be great. I can still love the player and not like the situation. Um, But where people wanted to put him in the RB1 tier, I wasn't there. I think he's, as you mentioned, great as an RB2. It's similar with Edmonds. I talk positively about Edmonds if you go back to my draft profile when he came out of college. The problem with Edmonds is he's always going to be, and they even said this when he came out of college, he's a complimentary piece. He's Mm -hmm. not somebody who's going to touch the ball 20 times per game. And they've had multiple opportunities to let him be the guy. He's only carried the ball over eight, eight times over his career. Now it's a short career, but he's had more opportunities than just these three times. Two of those games were twenty-seven, twenty-five. One of them was against the Giants, as everybody remembers that game probably, where he went ballistic. Um, but there, those—if you look at those two games too—is they were kind of forced into that where they had multiple guys hurt in those ones. So it's not that I dislike Edmonds; it's not anything against him. It's just at RB twenty-seven when Williams is sitting behind him, who I think can be the lead. Uh, when you look at Raheem Mostert, if healthy, which nobody wants anymore because they're just assuming Trey Sermon is going to be the guy, and I'm a Trey Sermon fan, but it's still Mostert until he gets hurt uh somebody else we're going to talk about (laughs) later i won't say his name yet Uh, it's just more about the guys behind him and the biggest part is you mentioned it it's connor is back there healthy right now yes connor has been hurt basically every year of his career but if you're going to tell me connor down at rb 38 versus Edmonds at rb 27 to me they should be almost back to back in the drafts and that's the biggest reason for it
0: yeah, I mean, I do think Edmonds. It, it, it kind of varies a little bit based on the scoring system too. Because in a in a full PPR league, I think Edmonds um, offers some interesting upside because I, I do think he'll get more of that, like more of the Kenyon Drake role. Um, and he'll, I think he'll still retain his receiving role. But you're right in that he is going to always be a committee back. That's why they got a James Conner. So cardinal running backs. These, you know, a lot of these last few years have been tough to predict. I remember that year. Uh, David Johnson got benched and then Edmonds got benched and then he traded for Drake. And then, and now, you know, Drake is, is, is gone. And so uh, who knows? If, if nothing Connor... else, help me, help me drive his price down and get him into the thirties and then I'll be right. on like, Yo, like let's him. get him
2: down. What's yeah, yeah, yeah. no,
0: that's where I was on. That, that's where I was getting him, you know, way early. I was like, Oh, this is, this could turn out well, but I, I do agree. His probably, he's kind of been creeping up there a, a little bit. Um, Sean, who are you fading in the rb3 tier
1: um so i'm a bit like disturbed by ronald jones adp a prank? <laughs> um especially in half ppr like i don't get it i can't wrap my head around it um i would draft leonard fournette above ronald jones i mean it's pretty clear that leonard fournette and giovanni bernard um lower ronald jones floor and ceiling i, I just don't get why people are still drafting ronald jones so you know, moving on from him. Uh, I, I think that, you know, Melvin Gordon and Raheem Moser, if you kind of mess up and go the zero running back strategy and you you're drafting your week one starter right now, go ahead and draft a Melvin Gordon or Raheem Moser. They're going to have early season value, but their value is going to disappear by mid season. I think, um, you know, Jake already mentioned, I think Javante Williams and Trey sermon will probably be the starting running backs in the second half of the season. So these are guys that I'm completely avoiding. Um, Yeah, where they're going in the draft, but they do serve a purpose. If you do need a starting running back to start the season, I'm okay with them. But long term, if we're trying to win a fancy football league and plan for the fancy playoffs, you do not want either of these backs.
0: Yeah, there are just uh, like so many guys that kind of stick out as as warning signs here. For me, Raheem Mostert is, you know, I'll start with him because I, I do agree. I think. He's going to be in the mix, but ultimately he was always a guy that was a high efficiency guy that never truly was able to handle that, you know, 20 plus carry workload, be it because he got hurt or just because it was just kind of working out better in a committee anyway. And everything we've kind of seen uh, in terms of, because I think it's really important to kind of understand how franchises are thinking and how the front offices are thinking. That's why I love uh, which you do over at the Athletic, Jake, because I think you have you, you're very on top of these kind of things, and it, I just don't think they view him as a guy that that's a true feature back, true starting running back. Uh, I think you're going to see a lot of sermon. I think you're going to remember you have Gallman and Mitchell, and you had Wilson, you know, before he got hurt. So <laughs> they're just a lot of guys here to the point where I think I said it earlier this offseason, season, Sean. I don't know who to draft in San Francisco, and I'm kind of fine fading everyone. Sermon seems like the most uh, kind of uh, palatable, I guess you could say, choice for me, but I think it's going to be a clusterfuck. And... <laughs> As always, right? It's, right. it's always and the
1: guy that we don't talk about, so it's going to be Wayne Gallman. Elijah Goleman. Mitchell. No, well, right. Lane, I was yeah. going to say
2: Elijah Mitchell. <laughs>
1: Elijah Mitchell's almost too obvious. It's going to be Wayne Gallman because nobody <laughs> – Hey.
2: Wayne
0: Gallman had a better last two years than Saquon Barkley. So, oh. like, you know, it's, you know, aside from a couple of those yeah. big Saquon games, like it, it could be anyone. That's my point. Right. I think the idea is to keep Mostert in that, you know, eight to 10 touch range. And, and go from there. And remember, I mean, I, I don't like who knows. Mostert was a very, very good special teamer back in the day. You know, if they have enough running backs, they can always throw him back on special teams. So, like we, you never well, that's know. That's what
2: I always say. It's Kyle Shanahan. He's the Midas touch of running backs. He turns every running back into gold. We wouldn't know Jeff Wilson if it wasn't for Kyle Shanahan. So right. I'm with you guys. In fact, if you cho- if you just look at the players, who's the most talented running back? Trey Sermon. Yeah. We hope that that breaks out. And in the 30s. That's reasonable. But to your point, Chris, and I think where we get away from it is if he starts getting near the RB2 range and now you're drafting, as mm-hmm. you mentioned earlier in the show with other players, is you start drafting where now he has to lead. And if Mostert doesn't get hurt, how much is that lead in a percentage basis? So that's where you, you always got to take that is you can be in on guys, but don't go so far that you've eliminated any potential return value.
0: Yeah, because this is the spot you're talking about, you know, 25th through 36th. You're essentially looking for guys that fall. You're looking for guys near the back of tiers that can jump some of these other guys who, because there's going to be a lot of bust in this range. You're looking for those guys that can jump those guys. And, you know, it, you shouldn't be chasing guys up the, the draft board in terms of, of ADP. Um, Ronald Jones is another guy that really sticks out <laughs> to <so> me. <laughs> I mean, and I don't even like Fournette either because this Giovanni Bernard signing, harkens me back to 2019. Remember in 2019, when everyone was trying to figure out the Bucks backfield, will it be Ronald Jones or will it be Peyton Barber? And you know what happened? It was really neither because Jones finished outside the top 25, Barber finished outside the top 40, and Dare Agunbowale pretty much never carried the ball but played about a third of the snaps – and got 30, uh, excuse me, 45 targets, 35 catches. So it was a three-headed monster. Tom Brady (laughs) in Tampa had a guy named James White in New England, did not really, you know, Ronald Jones, not really a a pass threat. We saw that already. That's why Fournette went from essentially like a healthy scratch to be in the key back in the playoffs uh, because Brady was more comfortable with him, but Fournette's not really a great pass receiver either or a great passing game back I mean he was just kind of pushed into that duty last year and it worked because you had so many weapons so it was like no one's covering Fournette when you have Mike Evans and Godwin and Brown and Gronk and you know all these guys so okay Fournette had a bunch of catches last year but I think Tom I think this is kind of Aryan saying hey we did this in 2019 let's do it again with Gio Bernard and I think that kills both of their uh, values because Jones is very one dimensional. He's going to be even more so. And then Fournette I think loses some of that receiving upside that really made him pop, uh, down the stretch last and into the postseason last year. So, uh, just like I am, I'm off the Tampa Bay backs. I don't really see a reason uh, to draft those guys and, and, and some, uh, forget who mentioned Melvin Gordon, but yeah, I think he's, his value is going downhill as the season progresses. Definitely do want Javante Williams, Um, And then David Johnson, another guy, you know, he's RB 33. I mean, this Houston team is going to be terrible. Uh, This is not the coaching regime that traded one of the best receivers in the game for David Johnson. Uh, David Johnson looked broken like two, three years ago already. Like this is just a disaster waiting to happen you have, you know, Mark Ingram has history with the coach and staff. They brought in Philip Lindsey, who's, you know, a famous kind of committee back that caps the ceiling of the other guy in the committee. And uh, it's just, it's just not a good situation. And he got, he you got, and you what Rex the crazy Burkett.
2: thing is, you know, what the crazy thing is, did you know that David Johnson was top 15 in fantasy points per game last year? Yeah, I yeah. remember. <laughs> this is, it's like you see him on the draft board. He's the, he's the epitome of, ugh. I guess yep. I'll make that pick that's that's yeah. who he is nope. this year
0: nope nope I think that I think last year was the year to draft him I think last year it was like okay we don't want we don't really want Todd Gurley here we know we should avoid Todd Gurley who can we kind of get that's that, <laughs> yeah. that Doesn't quite as disgusting.
1: You're, you're not taking David Johnson in the eighth round well he had he had Deshaun oh. Watson as his quarterback last year he probably doesn't have that. That. I mean that's this year
2: so that, that is true as well so yeah <laughs> Tyra not the worst We've seen Tyreek. He's not four. the best
1: either, but yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just think
0: the writing's on the wall for this guy, David Johnson. I mean, again, he hasn't looked good in like yeah. what two, three years. He's entering his age 30 season. That is not comforting. And he's literally on what we expect to be the worst team and worst yeah. offense and thus worst game script in the week. Now, could he get some receiving work? Sure. But I just don't like the fact that now you even got potentially like a Rex Burkhead who could take over for Buddy Howell, which means that another active running back that could eat into the snaps versus Howell
2: who never played. So it's just a
0: lot.
2: Right, but they're the crappy Bucks. Just stay away from the backfield.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah, Bucks. Uh, we're staying
2: away for different but, reasons. But terrible but, uh, offense, Bucks. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: no, 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 no. But uh, Texans. Yeah, staying away from all those guys. So yeah, that was a lot. That was a lot of guys. But uh, yeah, I think that's where the, the landmines are this year. It's in that RB3 tier uh, a little more so than in, that, uh, than in that RB2 tier, at least for this year. Uh, Jake, what about outside the top 36? Who are some guys that you're really keen on that, uh, that you think could return top 36 value?
2: Yeah, if you see what I put down there, it's all the Williams's. I just even Javante, if you could, because he's higher up. But if you can give me all four Williams's, I'd be happy with that. Because give me Jamal, because it's Anthony Lynn. It's this, you know, different regime, and I'm not comparing Jamal Williams to the talent of DeAndre Swift as a runner. DeAndre Swift was in my tier one in his draft, uh, alongside uh, Dobbins, and um, now Jonathan Taylor that year. So I believe in the talent, but this is the one I mentioned in the article is. I can love the player and hate the situation. You've mentioned it already dealing with a little bit of injury, uh, split backfield, very likely with Anthony Lynn and what's going on there. And what people don't realize about Jamal Williams is he's one of the better pass blocking running backs in the NFL is why he sees a lot of field work, which means for everybody that's like, oh, well, the Lions are going to be passing a lot. That doesn't mean it's always necessarily DeAndre Swift. And if anything happens to DeAndre Swift, we've seen Jamal Williams put up top 15 running back numbers. Granted, it was on the Packers, but I'm just saying you're getting Jamal Williams down at 45 for running backs, 126 overall. And let's talk about the two undrafted running backs and Daryl and Damian, who are the backups for their team won uh, a former chief and won the new chief behind Clyde Edwards-Alaire. If anything were to happen to the leads on their team, Darrell Williams and Damian Williams, I don't think necessarily be top 15, but two of the higher end backups, in my opinion, maybe not on the level of Latavius Murray, but by far and sure should not be undrafted running backs right now. Yeah, Darrell Williams is interesting.
0: Uh, we'll get to him in a second. But uh, Sean, who are you targeting outside the top 36?
1: Um, so this feels like cheating because Trey Sermon is number thirty-seven on this list. So I'm gonna have to <laughs> throw him out there. But we've already talked about him. You know, he's he's a guy that I like drafting as my RB four. Probably not going to offer you value at the beginning of the season, but that's totally fine. He's going to be on your bench. Um, so you're saving him for when he eventually does overtake Moser or Moser gets hurt. But I, I love his upside. We already talked about how great it is to have a 49ers running back um, in the Kyle Shanahan scheme. So love taking him. Um, and then I I. Oh, as is tradition, I have to mention Latavius Murray is one of my favorite <laughs> backups to take. Um, right now, he's the RB46. And, you know, th- this range, honestly, it, it all comes down to luck. You need the starter to get hurt. We, there's real no way to predict that. Um, but he could offer value even if Kamara C- were to stay healthy all season. I mean, he finishes the RB33 last year, and Kamara played um, 15 games. So, you know, he's going to provide you – RB3 flex value when you're in a pinch, whether you have like a heavy bye week or have injuries mounting up, like he can be a plug and play kind of guy. We kind of know the game scripts when we should play him. So I love him. And, you know, he offers that RB1 upside in the event that Alvin Kamara does miss time. So he's just one of my favorite backs to target in this range just because of his high floor and ceiling combo.
0: Yeah, with Tavius, it just never gets old. And uh, I mean, he's not a very expensive handcuff to Alvin Kamara, who remember averages 30 PPR points with Michael Thomas mm-hmm. out of the lineup. So I, I think that handcuff is is going to be very important because I'm actually taking Kamara second in, in in some spots when I can get him. So um, yeah, don't forget about Latavius Murray. I, I did want to talk about uh, Darrell Williams for a second again because I I do think it's interesting Edward Alaire. Uh, you know, this seems like it could be his breakout. Yeah, they're talking about getting a more receiving usage. And Williams came on strong down the stretch. But mm-hmm. I have been hearing that Jarek McKinnon has been having a very, very good camp. Now, hey, like this is this is Andy Reid. And like he likes like I like Darrell Williams has been a guy that, you know, he he fills a certain type of role. He's a downhill north, south Guy, you can put him in uh, in short yardage or whatnot. But McKinnon is more dynamic, and you know he can line up, uh, you know, at different spots. He can line up in the slot. He can be kind of a true backup to Edwards. He wears so. The I'm a little room. off Williams, <laughs> yeah. and I think I'm I'm actually taking some last round <laughs> dart throws on McKinnon here.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, listen, like it's never a bad idea to invest in Chiefs running backs. <laughs> Um, but Jared McKinnon always looks good this time of year because he's he's a freak athlete, but um, once tackling starts, I'm um, getting involved, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to run into some issues.
2: Yeah. The, I mean, the, I'm just the saying dude, he's a third. The dude he's the hole, third, hole. going, you know, like you get yeah, it you, right. What, yeah. Four four games started last year, and it was the first time he had played since 2017. Like, <laughs> you, <laughs> hey, like, I guess I can't laugh too much because I'm also the same idiot drafting Rashad Penny in the 13th <laughs> round. So there you go.
0: <laughs> oh, man. I, I'm hearing DJ Dallas is because remember, they don't like Penny in the past game for whatever reason. They never have. And I'm hearing DJ Dallas might actually. What, get what amounts to the RB2 role in Seattle because uh, he's going to be the pass down back if Chris Carson comes out, so leaving Penny in like, here, no man's land. And yet. this
2: is why I go running back early, because I'd rather right. be throwing my darts at wide receivers than these guys who don't even potentially, like Penny, as you mentioned, Penny and Dallas and McKinnon and Darwin and Daryl and all this. Like I'd rather, like okay, even if the lead guy gets hurt, is it just going to be a cluster, as you said before, behind them? Anyway, so I'd just be rather taking those dart throws on like a Jalen Rager bouncing back in a second year or a Henry Ruggs bouncing back in his second year, like those kind of guys. I'd rather just be doing that.
0: And speaking of the starter getting hurt, uh, a couple of guys that I think are worth noting because their ADP is pretty pretty decent. Like, I don't mind it. AJ Dillon at RB39. Yes. Listen, we're, we're talking about Jamal Williams going to Detroit. And while he very well may be, the, the value relative to Swift, I, I have my kind of doubts. I don't think he's a, a bad pick. I just think, um I, I think Swift has a, a higher kind of floor ceiling combination, but remember Williams was playing on a lot of pass downs. He was getting receiving work and he was mixing in, in terms of carries. So whatever Aaron Jones feels that Williams was doing, like if if Aaron Jones is going to get more passing game usage, AJ Dillon's going to fill in then, you know, make up the difference. And this was essentially a 60-40 split, Jones and Williams. Sometimes it got closer to even 55-45 uh, in certain yeah. games. And A.J. Dillon, a guy they drafted on day two last season, I think this is the time when they when they unleash him. And he's one injury away from really being in in just the driver's seat because behind him there's just Kylan Hill. We know the Packers – haven't really had confidence in, in any other uh, running backs. So, I mean, I think Dylan turns into a RB one and kind of inherits Jones value anytime Jones goes down, but may even offer standalone flex value. So I like that pick at, at 39 and then Tony Pollard seems like we talk about him every year, but uh word out of is he is going to get more receiving usage and another guy, you know, we're excited about this Dallas offense And Howard's kind of the forgotten guy. I mean, it's Zeke and the three receivers. We don't know what's going to happen at tight end, but uh, this could be a bad defense yet again. It could be a high volume pass offense. So um, I I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, Howard's best season yet, especially Zeke, you know, coming off the the down year. We'll see if that affects anything, but um, pretty decent value pick here with even some outside, you know, an outside chance at at, at some standalone value at at RB. I thought you were going to drop down to
2: 53. And Chuba Hubbard. I mean, the, the backup <laughs> was behind that. Christian McCaffrey, man. And if everybody remembers, if paid attention to college, if Hubbard came out two years ago instead of this past year, people were talking about him as a first rounder. And obviously we cooled off from what his realistic expectations should be. But again, if you look, that's another backfield. Look behind Hubbard and tell me who's going to contend with Hubbard for touches if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt again. No, I love it. That
0: was, that was going to be a, like a, we, we're we going to go to deep sleepers in a, just a bit, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, we your, saw how valuable you're
2: super deep. <laughs> we,
0: we saw how valuable the backup to Christian McCaffrey was last season. You know, if he paid attention, you know, Reggie Bonifant, I think coming into the, you know, early in the off season was thought to be it, but eventually Mike Davis kind of emerged if you paid attention to the the camp report. So Uh, I think Hubbard is a guy to 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 monitor most definitely, Um, and and Boston Scott, uh, you know Boston Scott, it's just kind of by default, right? It's it's a new coaching staff. We're talking about a a committee with Miles him and Miles Sanders. So why am I going to take Miles Sanders inside the top twenty when I could get Boston Scott as the seventy fifth running back? I'm not saying I take him all the time. I'm just saying. Here's a guy who you can essentially get for free that that his team is talking about a significant role for him. So I think he's interesting. I think Darrington Evans is interesting uh, headed into year two in Tennessee as well, just because so many carries in front of him if if Derrick Henry ever misses time. So, yeah, but that's that's never going to (laughs) happen. Hey, we said we thought that about McCaffrey. I mean, after these 300 plus carry seasons, uh, you got to be
1: careful. Derrick Henry (laughs) is built different. He's never getting hurt.
2: Thank Um, you. Thank you. And everybody's out there acting like it's five straight seasons of 350 carries. He's only carried the ball 300 times two years in a row. If Derrick Henry gets hurt, thank you, Sean. If Derrick Henry gets hurt, it's because a (laughs) linebacker fell into his knee sideways and it was a freak injury. Derrick Henry, zero concerns. He's in my top four. I'm so glad you brought that up, Sean. Yeah, I mean,
0: Derrick Henry, I actually just took him a day in a salary cap league a uh, hundred hour cap league. I got Kamara and Derrick Henry and uh, just had to kind of build, build scrubs around those guys, but love Henry. Just saying Darrenton Evans, another cheap yeah, guy. I take usage. <laughs> and if, he, if Henry ever goes down, even if he misses a game or two, uh, I think you're getting a really good value there. So let's switch gears a little bit because we've been doing a bunch of these podcasts. Uh, we're on the new feed. Uh, Jake, we know you're a really sharp guy all around. So we're going to, We're going to go not just running back, but every position. Who are your top mid-round targets at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end?
2: Easy, easy, easy. All right, I know there's been a hesitancy with Joe Burrow doesn't look great so far and he's tentative and like we still have time, obviously, to adjust. But as of right now, my initial projection spat out Joe Burrow as leading the league in pass attempts, which wouldn't shock me at all. Uh, averaged 40 a game last year uh, before getting hurt. And one thing about it, like I said we want volume at our positions if you look at what he did on a pass attempts yards basis, he's actually set up for positive regression with the touchdown department of where he was with last year, and now you add Chase to that receiving crew. I love Joe Burrow. Uh, I told you I was saving Michael Carter. This is Michael Carter time. Uh, in the draft, I had him on the same tier as Javante Williams, and everybody called me crazy. I told sh- I told Chris before we did the show, Sean, I was like, I have the receipts for everybody that told me that I was crazy, and now everybody's coming on to the Michael Carter bandwagon. There's still room. I'm welcoming you on the bandwagon, but don't Pretend like you were here the entire time. Uh, Michael Carter is in the Austin Eckler mold. He doesn't need to carry the ball 20 times a game because he's that dynamic in that 14 to 17, 18 touch per game. I love Carter in that backfield. As soon as they drafted him, he was the best talent and would have a great season. This is a well known name, but Brandon Cooks, I don't care who the quarterback is. Put me at quarterback. 130, 140 targets volume for Brandon Cooks, and now you're pushing him down to wide receiver three territory, who, by the way, Brandon Cooks has never not finished as a top 15 wide receiver outside the year he got hurt for everybody out there. So I don't care that there's no Deshaun Watson. I'm taking Brandon Cooks. And then my two favorites at tight end, everybody wanted Higby last year because of what he did to finish the year before that. Well, guess what? Everett's off in Seattle. Now he's got Matthew Stafford, at quarterback. And then similarly, in a different fashion, Adam Trotman, who uh, when I talked about him coming out of college was a matchup problem in the passing game. But being a tight end needed some time to develop in the NFL could be the number two receiving option Well, I have number three i have factory alvin Kamara, but number two receiver that coming out of the backfield for that team i think Troutman is very much set to be a potential top 10 tight end this year
0: love it sean who are your mid-round targets for 2021
1: uh so my mid-round targets are at quarterback jalen hurts i mean that's the latest you can get a qb with legit qb1 upside so i love taking him there um, Kareem Hunt. I already mentioned him. Offers an insanely high floor-ceiling combo. I know Nick Chubb is a threat to his workload, but you know Hunt should be able to return value even if Chubb plays all season and has top five upside when Chubb is out of the lineup. Um, I say this every year. Never underestimate. Robbie Anderson. So I love him in the mid rounds at wide receiver. Um, He's reuniting with Sam Darnold. Um, They already have great chemistry. So I love him. You can get him as your wide receiver three or even on your bench. That's how low he's going. Um, And then tight end uh, at uh, tight end TJ Hawkinson. Uh, He allows you to attack other positions early in the draft and still land an elite tight end one, in my opinion, in rounds five and six. He's in my optimal draft strategy when it comes to tight end. So he's my most valuable tight end to draft in the mid rounds.
0: Love it. For me, my mid-round targets in 2021 at quarterback, you've heard this one before, Jalen Hurts. Again, I think, Sean, you put it perfectly. This guy has legit QB1 upside, and he's going uh, oftentimes outside the top 10 quarterbacks. Yes, there's a little bit of risk, but there's also massive upside, and there is not much uh, downside, I think, at where he is being picked. At running back, I love me some Daryl Henderson and some Chris Carson, two guys that I think will push for touches in the high teens on a weekly basis on two of the better offenses in the National Football League. At wide receiver, I love the second-year breakout potential for Chase Claypool. Uh, He essentially broke out already last year, but he's kind of a poor man's C.D. lamb in that entering year two we are expecting a jump in routes run. Claypool is generally in the 60 70% routes run range. Uh, as a rookie, if he starts playing 80 90%, uh, and he's on the field in three wide sets every down, along with Deontay and Juju, he is going to blow up and obligatory Robbie Anderson mention, uh, again, stealing Sean Stunder with that, and with TJ Hawkinson because he's the last tight end in the t- – you know, the second tier of tight end ones, once he's off the board, that usually means that I'm just waiting to the end. So I love him and I love the fit with Jared Goff. Goff doesn't like to throw it downfield. Goff was the guy that jammed it into Tyra Higbee so much in 2019. Uh, You know, he's just a guy that, and, and for a team that is expected to be one of the league's worst. So Goff is a guy that's going to target, I think, the tight end anyway. There's not really many wide receivers to speak of. You have a bad team with passing game scripts. You have a tight end entering year three. Uh, I see some potential here for a tight end one, tight end two overall season if if some things break right, and and Detroit is an absolute mess and just has to pass all the time. So love me some TJ Hawkinson. Now let's go on to everyone's favorite, Sleepers. Jake. Jake. Who are your top sleepers at each position? And we're defining sleepers as players not currently being drafted as fantasy starters that we think will finish as such.
2: Yeah, so a bit you know, undervalued or, you know, obviously, the the wealth of information that's out there nowadays, there's no such thing as sleepers anymore. But I'm gonna go uh, with the, kind of different route on a couple of these. But Daniel Jones at quarterback and kind of pains me a little bit, because as an organization, I want gentlemen, gone and I want to be able to root for my giants again. But I can also evaluate when the opportunity is here when you push Daniel Jones outside the top 20, and everybody seemingly, uh, he's part of my last year's trash article. That's why I do this every single year is because people get really ticked off at players and don't want to go back to them because they got burned. Daniel Jones was inside the top 15 at ADP on the fringe of a QB1 in a lot of drafts because of the rushing upside and because everybody was calling him the next Josh Allen, which we just do with every quarterback now, like there's been 50 Josh Allens. But Daniel Jones can run for 500 yards, a few touchdowns, in the run game and then on top of it if he can just get a little bit back from two years ago the promise that people saw with the addition of Galladay, put Shepard back in the slot get a healthy saquon barkley you know daniel jones with that rushing upside is what can push him back into that fringe qb1 territory so now that he's going outside the top 20 quarterbacks i'll take him damian harris For the Patriots, uh, everybody was always like, oh, you don't want to deal with the Belichick backfield. But go back to the days of Lawrence Maroney and Robert Edwards and Corey Dillon, you know, Backfields are going to be accustomed to the coaching, but they will also adapt to the talent they have. Damian Harris is a good all around talent where you can put him out there and not telegraph. Now, granted, not every single time James White is out there do they pass, and not every time Sonny Michelle is out there do they run. But Damian Harris kind of puts the defense on a little bit more of their heels of being able to do both. And I think that Harris gives him that weapon where you could see Harris finally giving us that. So is it like solidarity, not solidarity, but that confidence in the running back behind Belichick. So I like Harris. Marvin Jones at wide receiver, the most disrespected wide receiver in fantasy for however many years now. And the reason I put him there is because I am a DJ Shark fan who is hurt right now and not getting reps with Lawrence. And if you're talking about a touchdown maker with Lawrence coming to the NFL, I think Marvin Jones could find his way inside the top 20, even inside the top 15 if Shark doesn't bounce back this season. And then my boy, going back to tight ends that uh, could break out in the, in the second year, is Cole Komet, who I think finally will kick Jimmy Graham to the curb. Maybe similar to what you know, Sean was saying with Trey Sermon, is maybe not the beginning with week one, two, three, or four right there, but by the second half of the season, Cole Komet should be the tight end we trust for the Bears finally this year.
0: Sean, how about you? What sleepers are you targeting?
1: So the sleepers I'm targeting are guys that, you know, you're drafting for your bench to start the season, but I think can be huge come fancy playoff time. And no one fits that better than Trey Lance. Um, You know, when you just look at the fancy playoff schedule for the 49ers, this is assuming that Trey Lance eventually overtakes Jimmy G, which I'm betting on. Um, They play the Falcons, Titans, and Texans to close up the fancy football season. So you want to draft Trey Lance specifically to dominate your fantasy playoffs, like we did with Jalen Hurts last year. And then at running back, same thing, Trey Sermon. You're not drafting him to start week one because he's probably not going to offer much value. But as the season goes, he's going to overtake Raheem Moser at some point. The 49ers didn't draft him in the third round to back up Raheem Moser for too long. Um, So again, he's going to offer you a ton of value come fantasy uh, playoff time. So that's why I love um, loading up on him. And then Mike Williams, I, I talk about him every time. We talk about wide receiver sleepers. Um, I love him heading into Justin Herbert's year two, where Justin Herbert's going to get only, he's only going to get better. Mike Williams should thrive in offensive coordinator Joe Lombardi's scheme. You know, he comes from the Sean Payton coaching tree, and he's already said that Mike Williams would be his ex-receiver. That is the Michael Thomas role. So I think Mike Williams will have his best season yet, and you'll be starting him by the end of the season. Um, And then Irv Smith, I love taking Irv Smith as a late round flyer, you know, he's usually the tight end 13 off the board, but I think he has legit, you know, top five upside because we already saw that last year um, without Kyle Rudolph in lineup in weeks four 14 through 17. Um, he finishes the tight end four. He's essentially the number three wide receiver in this offense. So I love getting Irv Smith as my last, you know, towards the end of the draft.
0: Yeah. Irv, Irv Smith is finally unlocked with Kyle Rudolph gone uh, for me. Sleepers. Quarterback, I'm going with Zach Wilson. I really like Zach. I think he can throw the ball downfield. I think that with Adam gay's gone, a lot of people may shy away from the uncertainty. But this is a whole new offense. We talked about Carter. Uh, you have Corey Davis. You have Elijah Moore. You have, you still have Crowder. Uh, you have a versatile guy in Keelan Cole. And your are high pick from last year, Denzel Mims, is all the way down there at third string. So they they do have some weapons here. I think Wilson can move around a little bit. He can throw it deep. So, uh, and this Jets team could be bad. You know, they—I don't think they really addressed the cornerback situation the way they should have. So, you could have some passing game scripts there too. So, like Zach Wilson at running back, AJ Dillon. This is the year. Last year, he was still blocked by Jamal Williams. They drafted him on day two last year. Williams, they let go. Now, Dillon is maybe already locked into a, you know, a approaching double digit touch role given how they used and split Jones and and Williams last year. Uh, And then if Aaron Jones goes down, I think Dylan is a surefire number one running back. So love AJ Dylan this year at wide receiver, McCole Hardman, a guy that I'm finally expecting to get into the, you know, seventies and 80% on a weekly basis in, in his snap rate. You know, he's a guy that's really going to have to take a step forward without Sammy Watkins this year. I also like Gabriel Davis in Buffalo. This is a year two breakout guy who you might look up and Davis is the number two target uh, on the Buffalo bills. He had seven touchdowns last year, a couple more called back. He, you know, top two in red zone targets for the bills. And he's also, targeted on average 17 yards downfield. So he's getting high leverage targets from one of the better fantasy quarterbacks in the league and Josh Allen. So uh, really like Gabriel Davis, I think he is the guy that's going to blow. I don't think Emmanuel Sanders is going to be as much of a factor as people think. And let's remember him and Beasley are both on the wrong side of 30. And one more wide receiver, uh, another jet, since I'm stacking, since I'm going with Zach Wilson, Elijah Moore, this guy has, number one i think wide receiver potential for the jets we thought he was just going to be a slot guy wondering if crowder was going to kind of block his way but he's been playing on the outside uh he can play any position he is a talented really talented guy who's been shining at camp and i wouldn't be surprised to see more lead the jets in targets this year so like him and a tight end jake you already mentioned it tyler higby i think he's a guy that's starting to move up people's boards but you look at this Rams team, and I think there's a lot of value here because you ha- you still have Sean McVay. Let's remember what he did for Jared Goff, and now remember that he has a quarterback he trusts. They're going to be able to open up the offense a little more, and Gerald Everett is no longer here. So I, I think you're going to see Higby approach the snap and-, and route participation rates that we saw when he was just – going absolutely bonkers at the end of the 2019 season i'm not saying we're getting a repeat of that but i'm saying there's opportunity here especially with acres down Uh, i think the rams could be a very pass heavy team remember uh it was a couple years ago jared goff threw for 4,600 yards uh and and left some on the table so uh love tyra higby as a another uh, as a tight end sleeper in 2021 all right man That was a, that was a lot. That was a, this is a great podcast on, on the fantasy flex. This is new feed. Jake's Jake. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Really, really enjoy and appreciate your insights. Please tell everyone where they can find you and what you're up to these next few weeks heading into the season.
2: Yeah, The Athletic is where all the columns are. Uh, if you see the new show All in Football on Bet's TV, you can check that out, which by the way also, if you want a free month to The Athletic, you go to theathletic.com slash bets TV so you get a free first month and you can complain about my rankings and my comments. You can yell at me over there for free so have fun doing that. But it's funny we're talking about a lot of these players because some of the ones you touched on, some of the ones Sean did and myself, I have a column coming out this week. It's Last Year's Trash. It's one of my favorite articles to talk about because people get burned and they get so angry and never want to draft that guy again Um, that's some of the best values you can find so that's what's coming out but as you mentioned at only kid i tweet all this stuff out that's the easiest way to find it honestly absolutely thank
0: you so much again we'll be uh we'll be looking out for that definitely really really enjoy reading your your work always uh top of the line insight uh, in my opinion thank you as always for listening to us each and every year and now that we've got this new feed we really need your help please follow rate And review the Fantasy Flex Podcast. It's the single biggest way to help us out and help other fantasy fans find us. We'll grab one review on Apple Podcasts every week leading up to week one. And Sean and I will send the winner some free swag. Uh, You guys can find Sean on Twitter at the underscore oddsmaker. You can find me on Twitter at Chris Raybon, and be sure to check out all of our fantasy content and our draft tool at ActionNetwork.com. This has been the Fancy Flex. Till next time, let's get this money.